Greetings everyone, we are now going to look at the book of Revelation, the last book of the New Testament and also the last book in this New Testament survey course. The book of Revelation is filled with the literature that is also known as, and we will see that in just a little bit, apocalyptic literature. Uh, but we're also going to see what is the purpose of the book and who is it addressed to and what is the message of the book of Revelation. It is really, in this short time, we're really not doing any justice for the book because uh, this could be a semester course, just the book of Revelation, a four-month course easily. And combined with the book of Daniel, which basically Revelation and the book of Daniel, at least half of the book of Daniel, goes together. So these are called apocalyptic literature. They go together with some portions of other books of the Old Testament as well. But uh, right now we're going to look at the book of Revelation, who is it addressed to, and what is the message and why it is given as well. So before getting into the book of Revelation, let's open up in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for this time. I pray that you be with us and give us understanding and knowledge. As we are looking into the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ or the revelation from Jesus Christ uh, about the end times, what is going to be in the last days. Though we will not be covering entire uh, content of the book, I pray that you still give us understanding and, and guide us, uh, help us to understand the content of the book so we would be aware of what is going on and what will happen in future. We praise you and glorify you for all the things that you've done. We ask that you forgive our sins. We have committed sins against you. We also ask, Lord, that you bless us according to your riches. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Book of Revelation. Now, if you have study Bibles, basically some of you may have um, study Bibles. So if you have study Bibles, there's wealth of information on each of these books, uh, especially the CSB Translation Study Bible or ESV Study Bible, New King James Study Bible, a lot of these, uh, or NIV Study Bible, a lot of these study Bibles have wealth of information on each book. The problem is, can we remember all that? That is a problem, but we have a lot of information. So I suggest if you have a study Bible, for example, um, look at the introductory content of the study Bible. So you can learn actually what is going on. Now, those who teach, who write, the editors and so forth, not everyone's view is going to be same on certain books of the Bible. So we just need to be critical in reading, and we have to be aware of that. The book of Revelation is addressed uh, based on a situation, just as a situation in which a pagan political power has formed a partnership with false religion. There was an issue, a pagan political power. When you think of book of Revelation, as we will also get into the date of book of Revelation, if it is around 90s, early 90s, then we know that there was so much uh, Roman power. The Roman emperor's Roman empire was evil during that time. There's really no definition for their acts, A-C-T-S, the acts and activities that they did, the Roman empire, Roman emperors. So really it was under their pressure, under their rule, or I would even say under their oppression. They have formed a partnership with false religion. And so we will also learn some of the issues. So those who claim to follow Jesus Christ, some parts of it is from the CSB Study Bible Notes, those who claim to follow Christ are facing pressure to confirm to this ungodly partnership at the expense of loyalty to Christ. Can you believe that for a second? Just think about it. You believe in Christ, then you're facing problem. You believe in Christ, you're facing persecution. Now, also, for those of you, you may know the, the style of persecution of Roman Empire or how rude and mean and basically evil they can be. These Christians are facing persecution under this Roman Empire. So now their loyalty is a test, basically, right? So uh, there is uh, mounting pressure to conform to this ungodly partnership at the expense of loyalty to Christ. The overall purpose now of revelation is to con con comfort those who are facing persecution, is to comfort those who are facing persecution and to warn those who are compromising with the world system, to warn those who are compromising to the world system. Instantly, what we think when we read or think about the book of Revelation, we think it's about 
the end times. We think it's about the judgments. We think it's about fire coming down the sky and so forth. Lots of um, end time imagery will enter our mind. Our imagination will go in, in, in a direction where we imagine about what would happen, what this could happen, that could happen. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that comes to our mind, basically things related to judgment. But what is really the book of Revelation? Yes, there are portions of the text that talks about judgment. Larger portions of the text that talks about judgment. But the book of Revelation is also primarily addressing the problems that the early Christian believers are facing in their days. Now, we looked at 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. We know the elder, who the elder was, and we know that those uh, episodes were written by John during 90s, early 90s as well. And we will look at the date again, as I said before. If John, the disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm saying if in a, in a loose, loosely way, because I know it is John who wrote the book of Revelation, and we will see that. John wrote this book of Revelation because it is revealed to him. It is not his own idea of what would happen in future. He's not making up stuff. This is not a myth. You know, there's Revelation especially, the end-time prophecy, the prophetic text basically. People understand those in different, different ways and they try to you know, sew together all kinds of theories and, and, and their imaginations. But we must stick with the text. There are also those who do not take the prophetic word literally. By literally... Um, I don't mean word for word, and we really can't take literal, 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 super literal approach, but at the face value. For example, there are so many numbers, which we, I'll also read a part of portion about numbers in Revelation, because that is very important. Some of those that deny that numbers are symbolic, we can't really take them uh, literally. Even recent scholars of New Testament, they don't agree that numbers must be taken literally, they must be taken symbolic or symbolically. My view on the prophetic literature, because you have to be consistent. Consistency is important in, in, in understanding and interpretation. Obviously, the illumination of the text is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not my work, it's not our work, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, but Holy Spirit guides us um, in understanding the text, when we approach the text, because this Bible right here is not simply a Bible, it's the Holy Word of God. Bible, the term English Bible is brought in later on, but initially these are the Holy Scriptures, because these Scriptures are the Word of God, and God is holy, so His Word is automatically holy. We don't have to make them holy. They are holy to begin with. So, when we are approaching the Holy Scripture of God, the Holy Spirit will help us to understand the words that are written, that are given to us, the content that is given to us. The scripture, yes, including the prophetic words and the apocalyptic literature that is given in the Bible, are inspired, God-breathed. And Revelation is even clear, right? When we, when we look at the book of Revelation, don't add to it, don't remove from it. If you add or remove, you're in problem. So, as an interpreter, if I add or remove from the scripture, guess who's in problem? Me. As an interpreter, if you add or remove the, any, any term, any word to the scripture, if you insert that something that is not in the scripture, you're in problem. The holy word of God must be taken seriously. And a side note, don't push the Bible with your feet. Don't push your Bible away with your feet, with your legs. That's disrespectful to the Holy Word of God. I've seen so many people do that. They just bump it. You know, I'm just trying not to say anything here, but this is the Holy Word of God, and the Holy Word of God is given to us as is, and it's also the work of the Holy Spirit to, to illuminate the text to us. And You must approach in prayer. That is the key. When you approach any text of the Bible, approach it with prayer. Now, yes, we are looking at the uh, ap apocalyptic literature, that is the book of Revelation, and uh, we need to maintain that consistency. 
we can't just say, okay, I'm going to read the book of Psalms and Proverbs and, you know, any Pauline literature, Johannian literature until 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and even the Gospel of John in, in a normal face value. But then when it comes to Revelation or Daniel or parts of Ezekiel, uh, parts of Isaiah, I'm going to go into a symbolic mode. No, you can't. You can't. If you go in several directions, you're not even consistent in approaching the text to begin with. And really, scholars have their explanations as to why they take things literally or face value at normal reading or why they take it symbolically. But my approach of interpretation is to be consistent. Is to be consistent whether it's just a narrative, be consistent if it's prophetic literature, be consistent if it is poetic wisdom literature, be con consistent if it's biographies or New Testament Gospels. Just be consistent with the text. God didn't give us some sort of a mythological book where we have to um, dig in some parts and really not dig in some parts and then dig in some parts. It's not a wavy study. It's not going up and down. It's straightforward. He gave us the word as is in a way that we can understand. Right? I mean, there are things in the Bible that I can't understand, and I thank God for it because my mind is not capable to understand some parts of the Bible, and I will know that. Hopefully, at some point, when I see Christ face to face, I'll know every single thing in the Bible. But I'm not concerned about what I don't know because, because I can't understand them. They're too much for my mind. But what I'm concerned is about the things that I can understand and if I can understand them accurately. So we're getting into the book of Revelation. As we saw, there's a problem under the Roman Empire, and there's also numerical things, things that had to deal with the digits, with the numbers in the book of Revelation. And I'm saying and I'm suggesting that we must be consistent with the numbers. There is an argument which we probably will not look at in the last part of the scripture. It talks about the millennium, kingdom, thousand years. And we will see that in the notes as well. Some of them don't believe that thousand is literal. It's symbolic. Well, here's my view on it. Thousand means thousand. One day means one day. 24 hours means 24 hours. You know, so be consistent throughout. Uh, be consistent in your approach throughout the Bible. No matter what you study, be consistent. So there are different views, at least five different views on the book of Revelation. Now, I believe it is Zondervan who published books, several books on this different views of the Bible. You may have access to them or purchase them. Um, so the scholars who believe in certain position, they argue for their position. And though I take the normal face value position, basically it com comes down, boils down, boils down to literal, uh, that is, again, just the normal reading of the text, normal reading of the text. Just read it as is. Normal reading of the text. My view on that is I do not take things symbolically. When I have to take things symbolically, if there's imagery, for example, yes. Because the writing techniques that are given in the scripture, they have different kinds of techniques. There are genres and techniques in writings. So the authors use different techniques to compose their writings by the help of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Holy Spirit is the, the ultimate linguist, the master who knows the language, who created the language. So there, there, there are those who compose their content in a normal language. Again, these are written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Parts of, parts of the uh, major part of Daniel is written in Aramaic, not even in Hebrew. So he Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, they use different constructions, different styles of writing to communicate with their audience. The problem is, the problem is not the way the scripture is given. The, the scripture, as you all heard from me probably before, is given to us, but is written for the immediate recipients. So for the ancient people, the text of the Bible did not in any form or way surprise them. 
the imagery, the metaphors that are used in there, the similes that are used in there, none of those surprise them because they're well aware of the language. They're, they're well aware of what was going on in their lifetime and their cultures. That is also one of the things we need to understand, the cultural concepts of the ancient lives. You can you know, go all the way back to first book, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. Were they shocked? Were, were they shocked to death? No. When God called Abraham, I'm going to make you into a big nation, in a massive nation. I'm going to bless you. Was he surprised when God said, move from this place to another place? No. None of the scripture from page one to the last page has surprised the ancient people, the first recipients. Now, there is that cultural gap. There is that language gap. Um, there is that literary gap from our minds and to, you know, to their minds. So therefore, for us, it could be interesting, it could be surprising, it could be daunting to actually read some of the literature. But my suggestion is to read at face value. Book of Revelation, open it and read it at face value. If, you, if we don't understand some of those things, don't worry about it. We can have help. We can. We have help, actually. There are a lot of scholars who wrote on the book of Revelations and so forth. So, I mean, there are people that approach with different ways, but my encouragement to you is to be consistent in order to understand and be prayerful as you read, because it is God who enables us to see His Word. There is no, uh, in, in the Scriptures, in the Bible, there is no decoding. And the Bible is not some sort of a mythological text to decode. That is an, an, a nonsensical statement. I'm going to decode the text. What do you mean decode the text? You're not going to decode anything because there's nothing to decode. So I'm saying all that so that we could all approach the book of Revelation, even though it is apocalyptic, we could approach it at face value and normal reading. Face value and normal reading. Basically read it as is given. We don't have to read into it. We don't have to impose things that are not in there which is wrong, which is sin, I think. We just have to read what's given prayerfully so that we could understand what is going on. So as we read before, the revelation addressed, is addressing a situation in the pagan political power that has formed a partnership with the false religion. Those who claim to follow Christ are facing persecution, even pressure to confirm to this ungodly partnership at the expense of loyalty to Christ. Now, if you know... Uh, some about the Roman era, there are emperors who lost their minds. Yes, I said it. There are emperors who lost their minds. They want to be called as gods. <laughs> really Domitian? Really Nero? You want to be called God? A semi-god, you know. Because that's just, uh, that's just a practice of the ancient world. For example, you think about gods in um, Assyria, think about gods in Egypt. These gods, well, obviously they're worshipped by them, but these kings of these massive empires, Assyria, um, Babylon, Egypt, the three massive empires in the ancient world, these kings were worshipped semi, as semi-gods by the people of those nations. Why? Because they think these kings are the mouthpiece of these gods and goddesses, so they ought to be worshipped. Now, the purpose itself from the biblical worldview, from the biblical perspective, the purpose of God appointing kings or anointing kings to begin with is to serve God as his messenger. Basically, king must lead the people in the way of the Lord. But how many of the kings in the ancient world that we know from the Old Testament guided their communities in the way of the Lord? Not a whole lot. So that is the part of the ministry of the kings, actually. They are really not sitting on the throne simply to fight or simply to, you know, dictate whatever they want. They're supposed to be servants to God. They're supposed to be servants to people as well, because if you're put in an authority, you're serving those uh, that you're placed upon, that you're placed above, right? So that is your ministry, to serve those that God has placed you upon, not to dictate and dominate and do whatever, whatever you want to do. 
so the king's desire back then or the emperor's desire back then during the Roman times was to be addressing them as gods. I mean, that is a problem. If you don't worship them as gods, then you're in problem. But here with the Christian people, what are they doing? They're worshiping Christ. Whoa, okay, so for you, I'm not God Domitian. For you, I'm not God Nero, so I don't need you because I can do whatever I want. And the first thing I'm going to do is persecute you. So there were so many issues that are going on in the book of Revelation during that time. And this letter is written for what? To comfort those who are facing persecution. And guess the second part is to warn those who are compromising with the world system. It's a dangerous thing to compromise. Be strong in your faith. Be strong in your faith. Have that hope because part of this book, the book of Revelation, is about giving hope. It's about giving hope. When we feel like we lost hope, we don't have anything, we're just hopeless. God is saying no. You have hope beyond what you can imagine. God is a infinite being and I'm a finite being. What does that mean? It means that I just, my mind is not capable of, of, of understanding a lot of things, of seeing a lot of things. You know, I might be thinking, well, this is it, this is my life and there's no hope in this life at all. But God is saying, yes, you're facing problems, you're facing pressure, you're stressed out, you're going through a lot. But remember, I'm telling you, there is hope. When the Creator God is telling His people that there is hope, the one who created everything, He's saying, you got hope. Why can't we believe Him? He's not saying just so we can just be okay or we can be comfortable. He's saying it because it's the fact. There is hope. The book of Revelation, it explains the problem it explains about the events that are going to happen, and it explains about the events that will happen. You know, in the last chapters of the book of Revelation, you're going to see that God established His kingdom, His rule. He's going to establish His temple, and He's going to govern rule with love from that temple. I'm an Old Testament guy, so I'll constantly keep dragging into Old Testament. Now, book of Haggai, the people that return from exile, they're crying about this temple they built. Ooh, this temple is not as, as beautiful as Solomon's temple. Haggai says what? Why are you so concerned about that? You know what God's going to do? He's going to give or build another th third temple in future. Solomon's temple will not come anywhere close to that. Solomon's temple will not come close to what that third temple is going to be. There is that hope again. So the book of Revelation also talks about the hope. So before getting into Revelation, I talked about uh, the numerical system. So I'm going to read a paragraph. Just pay attention to what it is. Numbers play an important literary and structural role in Revelation. A literary and structural role. What does it mean by literary role? Basically, there are certain numbers given in certain passages, and we have to just make sure that we keep an eye on those because literary structure is breaking is is you know, obviously uh, breaking down the text into smaller pieces. So uh, there's uh, there's important literary and structural role in Revelation. Whether the numbers are to be interpreted literally or symbolically is much debated. Yes, that's always going to be there, but just take it at face value. The meaning of some numbers is interpreted. For example, in 120, the seven stars and seven golden lampstands are identified as seven angels and seven churches. Seven is an important word is in the Bible. Seven indicates completeness. Something is completed. On the seventh day, God rested. He didn't sleep. He didn't take a nap, meaning he stopped creating things. He rested. So seven is an important uh, term. However, most numbers are not interpreted. Revelations, numerology draws on ancient Jewish cosmology in the Old Testament. That is already, that's altogether a different subject. Ancient Jewish co cosmology. The numbers 4, 7, 12 and their multiples have particular significance. 4 stands for cosmic completeness, cosmic completeness, and is the number of living creatures around the throne. Four creatures on the throne. Four angels restrain the four winds in the four corners of the earth from prematurely harming the earth before the saints can be sealed. 
Seven is the most frequently used number and symbolizes perfection and completeness. The Holy Spirit is repeatedly called seven spirits or sevenfold spirit. Seven is also used as a structuring device. Revelation is addressed to seven churches in Asia Minor, based on 1, 11, 2, 1 to chapter 3, 22. The three judgment cycles feature seven seals, seven, seven, seven. Keep them in mind, seven number. Seven seals based on chapter 6, 1 to 8, 1. Seven trumpets, chapter 8 to 11, 11th chapter. And seven bowls of seven plagues, 15 to 16. The great prostitute sits on the beast with seven heads. The numbers meaning here is polyvalent. The seven heads are interpreted both as Rome's seven hills and as seven kings who ruled the empire in the first century, based on chapter 17, verses 3 and 9. The identity of these seven emperors is much debated by scholars. Well, let's leave that aside. <laughs> who are these uh, seven emperors? Obviously, you know, it's subjective study, but still it is an important study. It's not all too subjective. It is subjective to an extent because it's hard to figure out who they are. It's really, I mean, scholars, thank God for them, scholars are working hard to figure out, to provide answers for people like us who are actually learning and reading and are trying to figure out these things. It is, it is hard to figure out exactly who they are. So they estimate, uh, you know, at the end of their study. And most honest scholars, they actually inform that. You know, the conclusion that I, I can come up with based on my study is so-and-so, maybe so-and-so, approximately this. So uh, they don't really say it with certainty, but there's always some sort of uncertainty. However, we have that, we'll have the information, at least it's going to be helpful. So we know, at least by reading just part of this text, we know that there is a problem. And let's look at the first chapter of uh, Revelation and uh, a few verses to actually know what is going on. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the God gave him to show his servants, plural servants, the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is the book of Revelation about? It is about Jesus Christ. It is the reveal, revelation of Jesus Christ. And the God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So we know at least what is going on, right? Who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ? Who is that? The who, the reflexive pronoun, is referring back to John or is it referring back to the angel? He made it known by sending his angel to servant John, who testified the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. It is referring, that who term, the reflexive pronoun is referring to the angel. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Wow. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. There is, this is not, uh, some of the people think that the book of Revelation is scary, scare tactics or, you know, use that to scare people. No, this is not scare tactics. It's just talking about the facts that time is near. The time is near. These events are going to happen. These events are going to happen. And the end is going to come. So, and here we see the introduction part that this is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. He made it known by sending his angel to servant John. The angel also testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. John now says, so John in four, to the seven churches in Asia, Asia Minor, Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Who is that referring to? The Lord Jesus Christ. And from the seven spirits. Hmm. Holy Spirit. Seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. Firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. Again, that is the work of Christ. Forgiveness, forgiveness of sins is provided by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we know now in the introductory part that this is about the revelation of Christ himself through the 
a medium or, or through the agency of an angel given to John, but primarily targeted to the servants. Okay, and also who are the recipients here? And we will look that in just a little bit to the seven churches in Asia. So what is the revelation about? What is the book of Revelation about? The author, obviously, we saw that in the first few verses, especially in verse 1, John, the author names himself as John, Revelation 1, 4, and 9 as well, and also in 21, 2 and 22, 8. He describes himself as both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He describes himself both your brother and companion in the tribulation, in the persecution, in the suffering. Because John calls, if you remember for first, second, third John, uh, he also talks about this sharing in suffering just like uh, uh, Paul did. And he also, I mean, at least his, his content gives us that picture of sharing in suffering. And also the content of Peter talks about sharing in suffering. Suffering is going to take place. Both your brother and companion in the tribulation, I'm not a stranger for the tribulation, but I'm companion, and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So we know based on um, verse 9, it says, I join your brother and partner in the affliction, CSB translation, in affliction, kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus who are who was uh, on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He also not only identifies himself, he also identifies the place. And if you look at the um, verse 7 until verse 8, it is even fascinating. Look at verse 7. Look, he's coming with clouds. This is a quotation. Look who is coming with clouds. And every eye will see him. Every meaning, all eyes will see him. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, think about it. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega are Greek alphabets. First letter is Alpha. Last letter of Greek alphabet is Omega. I'm the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Is Christ here referred to El Shaddai? Is Christ here referred to El Shaddai? El Shaddai means in the Old Testament, the Almighty. El Shaddai is also the name of God, and he introduced to the forefathers or the patriarchs of the Israel as El Shaddai. I am the El Shaddai. To Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, he was El Shaddai. When time came to me uh, to for for God to meet Moses, then he introduced himself as Yahweh. The life himself, I am who I am. The being, or the life, that's the another possible meaning of Yahweh. So here it says Almighty. Now Almighty, if you if you compare that with the Old Testament, then it's talking about El Shaddai. If El Shaddai Oh, this is going in a different direction, but I have to guard myself. What is this saying? If he is almighty, he is El Shaddai. He was in the ancient days. If he is in the ancient days, obviously he's not created like some critics and some, some mindless heretics claim. So he was part of creation, as Colossians 1.16 says. He actually created, not even part of creation. He created everything. He's the Alpha and the Omega, and he's also the El Shaddai, the Almighty. Isn't that beautiful to know? There is no beginning to Christ. There is no end to Christ. He always existed. He just came in the form of human being for the sake of the sins of the world so he could give his life because it takes life for forgiveness. And not anyone can offer that kind of sacrifice. Not anyone is capable of offering that sacrifice. Only the spotless Lamb of God who is also referred to and as Christ. So we know just looking at I'm getting excited, so <laughs> again, I just have to control myself. We know that based on uh, the text that you're seeing on the screen, the author himself names as uh, the author names himself as John. He describes himself as the brother who's also part of the tribulation, who's who's companion in the trouble trials and stuff, and also in the in the tribulation kingdom and patience of Lord Jesus Christ. The text itself clarifies the author is, as a brother among the prophets. The author is the brother among the prophets based on 22.9. Tradition has identified this John as John the son of Zebedee. 
as John, the son of Zebedee. So if I ask in one of the questions, you know, who is the author of the book of Revelation? Is it John or John, the son of Zebedee, according to the tradition? <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing. So we know the tradition has identified this John as John, the son of Zebedee. Around the year 150, Justin Martyr, a church father, early church father, ascribed Revelation to John, one of the apostles of Christ. This is the early church father, Justin Martyr, ascribed Revelation uh, to John, one of the apostles of Christ. And we'll even see another example here. Uh, province, John wrote from the island of Patmos, as we just read that, in the Aegean Sea off the west coast of Asia Minor, modern Turkey, basically. Asia Minor is modern Turkey. Due west from uh, Miletus and southwest from Ephesus. John states that he was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Also, we looked at 1.9. He was on the um, island of Patmos. Now, in, in 9 itself, uh, the text reveals who the writer is and also where he was during the, the encounter with the angel of the Lord. So, uh, based on 1.9, we know that he was uh, on the island or in the island of uh, Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. When is this written? A minority of scholars place the time writing in the 60s during the reign of Nero. The majority is situated revelation in the mid-90s during the reign of Domitian. This must be in 90s, and I will say why, because I mean, there's some of these scholars, minority, that's why. They believe in preterism. What is preterism? If you believe in preterism, past. Preterism meaning everything in the book of Revelation has been done with. There's nothing that's going to happen from the book of Revelation. Those are called full preterists. There are partial preterists. I don't know how you can travel on both boats at the same time. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So you really can't travel on both boats at the same time, can you? But, you know, partial view is for me just that. So there are partial preterists, preterism, preterists, who believe that half or some of the book of Revelation took place, but some is yet to happen. <laughs> well, basically, they just don't want to leave their position. That is the whole thing. We can't let theological position dictate our view on the scripture. That is absolutely wrong approach to the scripture. We cannot and should not let our theological bias control our understanding of the scripture and make claims that our understanding is accurate. You know what understanding is accurate? The one that is led by the Holy Spirit, not by these theological grids. God didn't invent these theological grids. These are man-made stuff. That's why there's arguments over centuries and centuries. Nobody comes to a conclusion because they cannot. What is driving them is this theological bias. How clear should God be? Don't add to it, don't remove from it. What this bias, theological positions will do is, is force us to take a position that is not even in the scripture. Isn't that sin? Yes, I think so. To add to the Holy Scripture. You know, in some ways, God, you don't know what you're saying, so let me help you. I think my position will make it clear. You know, just so we have an understanding, and just so you'll have a better understanding, let my theological position help you in a way that adding something or removing something from your Scripture, uh, because I believe my view to be accurate. Are you serious? Don't let, don't let these theological positions control your approach of the scripture, control your view of the scripture. We cannot come to the scripture with biased views. To begin with, it's going to be wrong. Once it's to, if your beginning is wrong, everything else is going to be wrong. Right? So there are those who believe that the book of Revelation is completely done away with, nothing is going to happen. We're just done with tribulation uh, and all the stuff that is to happen in the book of Revelation. And there are those who believe that partially it is done away, but not really, really completely done. So there's still some things that will happen in the future. So one of the partial predators that I respect because of his philosophical knowledge is uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul, uh, late Dr. R.C. Sproul. Excellent, 
excellent mind on the historical data of the early church fathers and so forth. He's an amazing teacher to begin with. He's a reformed theologian, amazing teacher. He's got so much knowledge on church fathers, so much knowledge on, you know, on the Bible. But I believe he failed at his view on preterism. When it comes to the book of Revelation, he took a partial preterist view. I mean, by the end of his last days, I don't know what view he was on, but several years back, I know that he was on partial preterism. And many others with him believe in the partial preterist view. What they believe is half of the book of Revelation is done. The sum of the parts of the Revelation is yet to happen. So they put that date, the, the date of Revelation in the 60s, because in 70 AD, there was a destruction of Jerusalem. Third time, completely gone. This is after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem in 586 BC. This was after that. In 70 AD, Roman Empire destroyed Jerusalem. So they think that was the tribulation because somehow they read that Josephus, the Roman historian, or the historian during the Roman era, not Roman historian, the historian during the Roman era, believed or actually made some comments that resemble somewhat close to what you know the book of Revelation says. So, for example, 100 pounds of hail r rolled down the mountains. Well, <laughs> book of Revelation says, yes, there's 100 pounds of hailstones that are going to fall from heavens or from skies, not from the mountains. Josephus, you're wrong. They fall from heaven, they fall from the sky, not, from, not roll down the heavens, I mean roll down the mountains. If they're rolling down the mountains, they're really not falling from the sky. So there was a, a misunderstanding of the historical data as well, I mean, what Josephus wrote. So some believe that these events happened in, in 70 AD. So if the events happened in 70 AD, the book of Revelation should have been written in the 60s. So that gives them uh, you know, to argue that the book of Revelation has taken place. You see what I'm saying? But my position is it happened in the 90s because now <laughs> these things didn't happen. The book of Revelation, events in the book of Revelation will happen. They will happen. So majority put the revelation in the mid-90s during the reign of Domitian. We'll also see what's the crazy Domitian about just briefly. Um, Arrhenius, who had been taught by Polycarp, this is interesting because Polycarp was also a special person, who had been taught, according to early tradition, by John the Apostle himself, Polycarp, we can learn about his ministry, his life during, you know, 90s and above, 1980s into first 180s. Arrhenius, who had been taught by Polycarp, who, Polycarp, who was taught by John the Apostle, dated Revelation to this period around 90s. Domitian ordered his subjects to address him as Domus et Dios, Lord and God. <laughs> Domitian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants to be uplifted as Lord and God. Leading to difficulties for Christians and faithful Jews. He, won he ordered his subjects to address him as Dominus et Deus, Lord and God. So people have to address him, my Lord, my God, Domi, or Domitian. You see, the hunger for power, control, to feel good about himself, self-serving attitude. But that is his, his order, Domitian, who reigned um, as an emperor during the 90s. He ordered people to call him Lord and God, and leading uh, Christians and Jewish people into difficult times. Who are the audience? The book of Revelation was given to God's servant based on Revelation 1.1. Especially, Revelation was addressed to the seven churches in Asia Minor, specifically written to the seven churches in Asia Minor. What are those churches? Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, based on chapters 2 and 3. These churches faced oppression, Jewish opposition, pagan immorality, and false teaching. When was What book didn't actually talk about false teaching? False teaching is all over in the first century and even till this day, even today. And the you know, until Christ returns, it's going to be, there's going to be false teaching. So this is written primarily, the recipients of this book of Revelation is the seven churches. Let's keep that in mind. Who are the recipients of the book of Revelation? The seven churches of Asia Minor. 
Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, based on Revelation chapter 2 to 3. These churches faced oppression, Jewish opposition, pagan immorality. We saw that because they want to compromise. The emperors want the believers to compromise in their loyalty to Christ and to obey basically this pagan immorality, this pagan worship and pagan order and also to the false teaching. The theme of Revelation, disclosure of Jesus Christ, exalted position and the end time program. The disclosure of Jesus Christ, exalted position, and the end time program is the theme of book of Revelation. Occasion and contents, the book is described as a revelation and a prophecy. It is described as a revelation and a prophecy. The term revelation is translated from Greek apocalypsis in Revelation 1.1, a term referring to disclosure, unveiling, or uncovering. These are the things that are going to happen uncovering what is going to happen. Apocalyptic or apocalyptic doesn't mean referring to the things in the past, referring to the things in the future. These are about to be revealed. These are about to be disclosed, unveiled, removing the veil so that people will see what is going to happen, what things are going to come to pass from here on. So really from just looking at the term, there is a future sense, not a past sense. There are future sense, by that I mean there are things that are going to happen from that point on. Um, apocalyptic literature, a Jewish style of literature, basically the definition of what it means by ap apocalyptic. A Jewish style of literature which conveys a vision mediated by an otherworldly being. It uses picture language, symbols, and highly dramatic scenes. Since the contemporary culture is not used to this style of literature, it may be overwhelming to understand because, again, like we mentioned, for Jewish people, for the original audience, None of these is strange, but for us it may seem strange. So it uses picture languages, symbols, highly dramatic scenes. Now the main purpose of this literature is to reveal what is happening behind the curtain. It is to reveal what is happening behind the curtain, otherworldly, we don't see it. We don't see it. There's otherworldly activity that's going on at the same time. It is a second temple period literature. Uh, developed during Second Temple period of Judaism, that is um, primarily also known as the Intertestamental period, Intertestamental period, and so forth. So that is the Second Temple period. Developed during Second Temple period of Judaism, when the Jews were oppressed by foreign powers, it offers hope to Christian community as they experienced persecution under the Roman Emperor. So keep that again. It offers what? I've mentioned that before. It offers hope. It offers hope to Christian community as they experience persecution under the Roman Empire. John was commanded in Revelation 1.19 to write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Meaning, the angel is, is given instructions to John. John, take note of this. What is that? The things which you have seen, things which are current, seen in the past, current, and things which will take place after this. So in future, there are going to be some things, some, some events that are going to take place. So take note of this. We can do some comparison study in Revelation 1, 1, 26, 6. Chapter 1 describes the things which you have seen, the vision of the exalted Christ. Chapter 1 describes the things which he had seen, the vision of the exalted Christ. Chapter 2 and 3 addresses the things which are. Are you following? Chapter 1 talks about things which he has seen. Chapter 2 and 3 address the things which are the present. First is past, now is present, by including separate letters for the seven recipient churches. Keep that in mind. This letter is written, you know, not about, you know, come, oh, this is all about Antichrist. It's all about Satan. No, 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 no. Just don't, don't miss the main point. The main point is it is written to these seven churches in Asia Minor. Chapter 4 begins with a transitional verse leading to a description of the things which will take place after this. After this, I looked and there in heaven was an open door. So that, that after this is, is a reference point, basically, to what is going to happen next. After this is a reference point. So we know that chapter 2 and 3 talks about the present during his time, and chapter 4 and on are going to talk about the things that will happen 
in future. So there's a directional point, and after this is also a reference point of what will happen, what will happen in future. First voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, continue that verse, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So the term after indicates a transition or a reference point to that transition, to something that is about to happen. So Revelation then describes seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments. And also we talked about the seven, the term seven and, and its um, function is completeness, perfection, completeness. So angelic beings assist in the revelation and implementation of these judgments. Obviously the book of Revelation is, I mean, it talks about judgments, how terrible they're going to be. There's no escape from the judgment. The, I mean, I don't want to say, it's not really escaping. But the only way to stay away from those judgments is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is not threatening anyone. It's just appealing, requesting. It's not threatening anyone in any form. It is requesting to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you will have eternal life and you don't have to go through none of this that is mentioned in the tribulation context, in the tribulation content based on the book of Revelation. So angelic beings assist in revelation and implementation of these judgments. That's going to happen. In between these judgments, Revelation describes key characters of the end times, including the Lamb. Obviously, there also go, it also mentions about the people and the things that are going to be involved in this judgment, including the Lamb of God or the Lamb that is Jesus Christ. The King is also Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's also the Lamb. And guess what he's also? He's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's also the lamb. And these things are going to happen. Revelation describes key characters of end times. Most bulk of the book, after chapter 4, uh, including some characters and also the lamb of God, that is Christ. The 144,000 sealed from the 12 tribes of Israel, Apollyon and his minions, the two witnesses, the woman, Israel, Persecuted by a dragon, Satan, the beast from the sea, Antichrist, the beast from the earth, the false prophet, and the harlot of Babylon. You're going to see this terminology, and we, it may be surprising for us, but there's really no reason to be in shock. For us, it might be a strange language. But remember, for the ancient world, none of this surprised them. For them, it made clear sense. So the 40, 144,000 sealed from the 12 tribes of Israel, Apollyon and his minions, the two witnesses talks about two witnesses, the woman that is Israel, a symbolic language, symbolic tone or, or imagery language, persecuted by the dragon, imagery language, Satan, the beast from the sea, imagery language, Antichrist, the beast from the earth, the false prophet, imagery language, and the harlot of Babylon. Chapter 19 describes the Lamb's coming and his destruction of the armies gathered for a final great battle at Armageddon. Now, no, Armageddon is also things that are used to refer in news channels, for example. Well, the Armageddon, blah, 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 blah. They have no sense of what Armageddon is. Like, uh, you know, in news and other places, they use the term loosely, Armageddon. But in reality, I believe they don't have, um, <laughs> they, they just don't have any sense of what the term is. Just they could use it, they'll use it. But this is actually talking about a great final battle that's going to happen between the Lord and his enemies. Everybody that opposes him is an enemy. Armies are, are going to come against him. He is going to annihilate them, not with a massive battle. When we think about battle, we, you know, we can think of tankers, aircraft, aircraft, and all that kind of stuff. But, but here, he's going to destroy everything by his word, by his word. So we can learn about that in 1616. Satan is then bound for 1,000 years. For those who oppose literal understanding, take this literally in the sense of normal value, face value. Satan is then bound for 1,000 years, the millennium followed by the great white throne judgment based on Revelation 20. Chapter 21 describes the descent of New Jerusalem from heaven. The descent of New Jerusalem, chapter 22, closed with final warnings and exhortations. So, book of Revelation is really fascinating, and we don't have much time to go into the term new. What does it mean by new earth and new heavens? Is, is that going to be a restoration? Or is it going to be completely new, 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 new? Well, 
my view on that is going to be restoration, just to be brief. He's going to restore the whole thing. I'm saying this because of this reason. So if you're able to follow me, follow me. God created the heavens and the earth, yes? God created a wonderful, beautiful garden, and the beauty of it we cannot even think of. A beautiful garden is created. God created that beautiful place, beautiful garden, everything that man might need. And then God created man and he placed man in that garden. A garden that's sinless, a world that was sinless, no sin at all. A world that was holy. God created, and we will learn that in Old Testament courses, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was chaotic, but God brought things into shape in an order. God created everything in an order. God placed man in the garden. It was a holy, holy fellowship and, and holy universe, basically, at the time. Sin entered. Sin entered. It corrupted not only the relationship between man and God, but the entire creation. Entire creation. You know what we learn as we read through the book of Revelation? We are going to learn what God has been doing all these years. He's not taking naps. When we learn about the sin, and what, what do we see? We see grace of God. And the first page of the scripture that is given to us, we see kindness of God. We see love of God. We see concern of God towards mankind. He was not worried about how this tree is going to grow. He's not worried about how this fish is going to survive. He's not going, he was not worried about you know, how the land is going to produce fruit. He was so concerned about human beings because of his love for them. Human beings are the central element of his creation. None of the other stuff. He created other things so that human beings would have dominion, rule over them, and do whatever they want. God created everything for mankind to enjoy, to be fruitful, and to be blessed by God himself. But that was destroyed because of sin. And since then, God is working to restore everything to its original form. Are you following me? By the end of the last pages of Revelation, we're going to look that God is going to bring everything or make everything new. He's going to restore everything to its original state. Sinless state. Mankind living with God under His rule. Forever. What I see in this is it began here at point A or B. There's, I don't want to put a point because it began here. And after sin came, there was separation. But then that separation, uh, yes, it separated mankind from God. But God is working to bring these people. You look at Old Testament, how much effort he put into bringing his people back to him so that he could dwell among his people, with his people forever and ever and ever. He's still doing that. He is working towards bringing everything back in a circle, back to the original state, a holy state, because that is what God's going to do. Oh, is he going to bring a new building down? That is not the, or shouldn't be the focus. The focus should be that God is restoring everything back to its original state. Praise be to God. He created the heavens and earth, not so because they're going to be super beautiful and we can enjoy looking at the stars in the night. No, that's not the reason. He created every single thing that mankind would, would have everything he needs. He, that, that human beings will not lack anything. Isn't that powerful? That human beings will not lack anything. That's how much he cared for human beings, how much he loves the human beings. And this human being that, that God created to be, 
to be his representatives in the world, messed up everything, sinned and rebelled against God, but God didn't just cut him off for good. He showed his kindness, clothed him, sent him out to still live. <laughs> Grace of God, we take it for granted. Forgiveness of God, we take it for granted. Kindness of God, we take it for granted. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us. Pray today and ask God to forgive for taking advantage of Him. We take advantage of God's love. We don't deserve an inch of His love. We don't. But you see from the first page until the last page of the scripture, He is so concerned. Oh, Ephraim, oh, Ephraim, how can I persecute you? How can I forsake you, Ephraim? I love you with all my heart. <laughs> Only God can understand the meaning of true love. Our dictionaries are so dumb, they can't describe the true love. God's love is pure, is holy. He loves us with his heart. He placed that in, in that original creation, sinless, beautiful, pure, holy creation. God tells us, I want you to be holy. I want you to be my, my representative. I want you to represent me, your mind. You're mine. You belong to me. Imitate me. You belong to me. Imitate me. Follow me. You belong to me. I want to have fellowship with you. Come back to me. I'm a forgiving God. Ask me, I'll forgive you. <laughs> God tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, son of man, do I rejoice in killing people? No. Son of man, I don't even rejoice in killing a wicked person. What is that saying? He doesn't want mankind to perish. He wants every single one of them to be saved and to dwell with him, to have fellowship with the Creator God. And that's what this is all about. Page 1 of Genesis to page uh, last page of Revelation, it's a circular thing. God is bringing everything back to its original state. No, the original state is not lesser than what is going to be later on. Original state was holy. And the last stage that the circle, when the circle completes, that state is also going to be holy because we're going to live with a holy God, uh, Him being amongst us. There's no need for sun or moon, no need for light because His glory shines from that temple. And we're going to live with Him. Book of Revelation filled with all kinds of symbolic language, or at least people think in imagery. But this is not talking about what kind of imagery they used, how difficult is the text to understand. It's talking about what God is going to do in the last days, the days that have already began a long time ago, and the events that will happen based on from chapter 4 and forward, the things that will take place in future. They're going to take place in future. Things will take place in future. He's revealing all these to comfort those who believe in Him. You're going to face persecutions. You're going to go through tribulation. Not that seven years of tribulation, because if you're a believer, you're not going to go through that. You're going to face this temporary persecution on this planet, on this earth, in this temporary life. But guess what? I have a place for you. You're going to be with me. You're going to reign with me forever and ever, because your God is going to reign with you. Isn't that powerful? Take heed, my friends. Don't take God for advantage. The days are coming. We don't know when. That day will come suddenly. Suddenly. We might be thinking and calculating things. Oh, okay, uh, five years from now, this is going to happen. Six years from now. Stop all that. Because there's no time that we can't figure out the timing of God. Nobody knows the mind of God. It is foolish to think if I know the mind of God. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, period. There's a period right next to 
grammatically, if you look at the text in Isaiah, He's coming. Are you ready? He's coming. Do you want to seek forgiveness? Now is the time. He's coming. Do you want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now is the time. Now is the day. This is the day for salvation. He's coming. He's got a place for those who believe in Him already prepared. Oh, what a day that will be. And we might even sing, This is the day the Lord has created. You know, we sing that song, This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made something up. I'm out of tune here because <clears throat> I've been talking for an hour. But you see what I'm saying? That there's a song, this is the day the Lord has created and so forth. The day is really not talking about today or back in 10 years back in Sunday school. That day, the term day is talking about the day in future. Oh, we will rejoice. Because again, our minds cannot imagine the first holy state of this creation. God is restoring everything back to that position. My question for you, my friend, are you going to be part of the restoration? If you need and want to be part in that place, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way to be part of God's kingdom, to live eternally forever and ever. Jesus said, and the scripture tells, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes, whosoever, it's not conditional, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Everlasting life. God doesn't want anyone to perish. book of Revelation is a wonderful book. It might just hurt us reading some of this prophetic text, but those things are going to take place. And most importantly, it talks about hope a hope that cannot be found in literally any other books because Revelation is unique and the hope that provides is the ultimate hope that those who believe in the Lord will live with Him forever and ever and ever. Praise be to God forever and ever. Amen.